WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. You can't make people feel bad because they have a payment plan. You can't stop someone with a payment plan from becoming mayor of the city of Chicago. Brandon Johnson was sworn in as Chicago's 57th mayor on Monday. He had a little over a month between his victory in the runoff election and Inauguration Day. And in that short time, he had a lot to figure out including appointing a chief of staff and an interim police superintendent, to name a couple. Next on his agenda are safety, some labor issues, reopening mental health clinics, and finding support for the roughly 8,000 migrants who have made their way to Chicago since August. As we look ahead to the next four years under Johnson's leadership, I wanted to just take a beat and break down what's already happened in the last two days. Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg are city politics and government reporters here at WBEZ. Mariah says Johnson covered plenty in his inaugural address, transit, financial deficits, and some things that are a little more intangible, if you will. He also described uh, what he called the soul of Chicago that Mm. lives within all residents and drives the city really to to be great, to be gritty, to be hardworking, all of the things that you, you know, would describe <laughs> Chicago as, but that are kind of feel indescribable sometimes. I mean, mm. I feel it as a lifelong Chicagoan. Um, but yeah, kind of kind of described, um, called upon people to feel the soul of Chicago within them in this next new chapter. There was a lot of like themes of hope. Um, he also got political at times. You know, I don't know if people remember, but on the campaign trail, he was criticized for some water bill debt that he had um, and was on a payment plan for. And he had a funny moment in his speech yesterday where he was like, you know, we're going to we're going to invest in people without raising property taxes because uh, property taxes hit working families and you can't punish someone for being on a payment plan. You can't look down on someone for being on a payment plan and you can't stop someone who's on a payment plan from becoming mayor of Chicago. Yeah. And that, you know, got a lot of applause and, and cheers and smiles. Um, it was a rousing speech, a really energetic crowd. Okay. Tessa, anything surprise you about, about the speech or anything that came up where you're like, I didn't expect him to mention that. I was, you know, surprised by, you know, you could really see the emotion, I think, that, ah. you know, Mayor Johnson was experiencing. At one moment, he said he was just, you know, taking it all in. He was reflecting on, you know, his mom, who was a big influence on him, who, um, you know, passed away and talking about the big family he grew up in. And I think those roots of him as a, you know, pastor's son were in full force as he, you know, interacted with the crowd and, you know, at one point said, you know, can I get a witness? And the crowd, <laughs> um, you know, cheering him him on. And so um, I was, yeah, it was, I think everything Mariah said and really celebratory with the music and the dancing that definitely felt like this was, you know, the culmination of just a big moment. So, yeah. Yeah. You had reported on some gospel music that was playing <laughs> yeah. um, during the, the speech as well. Um, so one of the biggest, most immediate challenges for Mayor Johnson um, that he's going to be facing pretty quickly is the influx of migrants that other states are bringing to Chicago. What did he say about that? 
So he has not shared specifics on how he's going to address that massive problem. The city does not have enough funding to support migrants through the end of June, at least according to Lightfoot's budget director. I'm sure Johnson's going to be doing his own analysis and trying to see where he can pull funding in from to keep uh, shelters open, to keep shelters staffed, um, and to keep food You know, for the hundreds of migrants who are coming, 100 to 150 a day, I think was the last estimate. Um, but that was kind of expected to increase. Johnson did address this in his speech, mm-hmm. you know, but but largely from a values point of view, saying that Chicago is a welcoming city. We're going to do everything we can to support these migrants. And we're going to do so not at the cost of people who are already vulnerable in the city of Chicago. So he kind of indirectly addressed this tension that's been building um, in the city between particularly in the city council, um, aldermen who represent communities that have long been under-resourced and disinvested in, who have been scraping and for resources for a really long time, who, you know, have expressed concern about dollars going to, uh, you know, newcoming migrants to the city of Chicago when they're residents. So that's been a brewing tension. And Johnson kind of you know, it's something that he's going to have to deal with. And he said, it's not a zero sum game. We're going to do both. Um, The problem is that there's just there's not funding. You know, the federal government has denied tens of millions of dollars to the city. The state has been a little bit better, but is still only awarding small fractions of what the city's requesting to uh, support migrants. Yeah. So Johnson also said he wants a jobs program for young people to help reduce violence. Did he give any indication as to how that's going? So there is a city summer jobs program. It's called One Summer Chicago. And Johnson's intention is to double the number of kids hired this summer in that program. In 2022, last summer, the city hired around 20,000 kids. Um, And that's much less than what the city was doing before the pandemic. So that program has struggled to bounce back. And Johnson's hoping to double it to 40,000 this summer. He signed an executive order that directs the city's budget office to do an inventory of where they can scrape extra dollars from. And Johnson also has a vision of making a youth employment program year round rather than just summer programming and jobs. And so uh, that's certainly at the top of his list. I think he's going to start getting to work on it. And that started with this executive order being like, hey, budget experts, like, what can we do? How can we allocate more money? Um, What money, you know, are we spending on this now? And how can we boost that either relying on the state or federal funds, grants and those sorts of things? Let's get into something that he is continuing to bring forth from uh, the campaign trail, which is reopening mental health clinics. He reiterated that he was planning to do that on Monday. Did he give any details about how that could look? You know, in his speech, he committed to reopening the clinics once again. He talked about bringing resources from a county, state level, and looking across the board to make that happen. Um, But there hasn't been a lot of specifics yet on exactly how that's going to look like. You know, the um, half a dozen clinics closed over a decade ago, and a lot's changed since then from the COVID-19 pandemic that, you know, exacerbated the need um, for mental health services, Mm -hmm. you know, across the globe um, to, you know, since that time, communities have really organized and some neighborhoods have 
funded and passed property tax increases to create their own community-driven mental health um, you know, clinics to provide these, these services to their own neighborhoods. So I think there's a lot for the Johnson administration to take stock of. Um, when I talked to his first deputy chief of staff earlier this month, they said their first step is really to take an assessment and to look at the current landscape of mental health services, both public and private, and they weren't really ready to commit to you know, what details of their plan will look like yeah. and how much of, you know, Mayor Lightfoot's strategy of sending city funding to nonprofits and community-based providers that they'll keep. So I think it's a lot of, you know, wait and see still of how they're actually going to go about accomplishing that goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as Tessa reported, he's in a tough position because former Mayor Lightfoot built up an infrastructure to send money to community organizations to support mental health. And so simply just taking that away to reopen public health clinics, that's a difficult task. I mean, you're not going to look a bunch of nonprofit organizations in the eye who have been serving, you know, hundreds, thousands of residents and and cut funding off immediately, or at least I don't envision Johnson doing that. Um, but the funding to reopen public health clinics has to come from somewhere. And so as, as, as Tessa reported in her story, um, it's like a – it's kind of a catch-22 right now. It's going to be interesting to see how he approaches that. Mariah, a month or so ago, Brandon Johnson showed up to the picket lines to support Chicago State University faculty when they were on strike. This is after he had been elected as mayor, but before, obviously, he was um, inaugurated. Hearkening not so far back to his days at the Chicago Teachers Union, I wonder if you can maybe give a little overview of what else he's been up to that could tell us about his future tenure. Sure. Yeah, he's trying to... um Fill his cabinet positions. I mean, I think he's really taking his time with that. I think we'll see some Lightfoot administration folks stay on for a little bit as Johnson kind of, uh, you know, takes the reins. Um, But he hired a chief of staff, Rich Guidas. He hired his first deputy chief of staff Mm -hmm. in Christina Passioni-Zayas. And we saw his transition committee and subcommittees kind of be full of some grassroots organizers who are kind of helping him develop what his policies are going to be on things like education, arts and culture. Well, I don't know if he needs that much help on education, but arts and (laughs) culture, you know, public safety, those sorts of topics. And so they'll come out with a report um, in, in the near future. And then I think those committees will kind of dissolve. But it's a really quick transition. Chicago has one of the tightest transitions from election to taking office in the country. And I think he's been trying to just kind of get a handle on all of the urgent issues that are going to be facing him. I think he's been meeting with corporations, people in the business community, trying to encourage them, speaking of, you know, summer employment and violence prevention, encouraging them to boost programs for kids this summer. He kind of mentioned that in his speech on Monday. And so really just trying to hit the ground running, I think. Yeah. Also on Monday, interim police chief Fred Waller started his job. And uh, one of our colleagues, Chip Mitchell, had done some reporting on this as kind of like an olive branch to some of the Chicago police officers. Can you talk about that? Fred Waller is a longtime veteran of the department and Johnson, you know, named him as his pick uh, earlier this month. 
And he is someone, though, that he's already said he's not interested in the position permanently. And Johnson will still be tasked with um, choosing from a slate of you know nominees that uh, a commission has been getting community input on. And so it'll be interesting to see you know who Johnson ends up going with. He has indicated he you know maybe wants someone who has the support of rank and file police, and also um, you know someone who's maybe coming from you know the department's current ranks. But but we'll have to see. And I think that will definitely be one of his you know immediate early tests of, you know, how he, you know, is going to work with the police department, gain the support of rank and file officers in his inauguration speech. He even, you know, gave condolences to recently slain officers. So I definitely mm-hmm. think it's something that's, you know, been on his mind. Yeah, that was actually a pretty um, poignant moment of his speech where he said the tears of Adam Toledo's family are the same as the tears of the parents of Chicago police officer Ariana Preston, who um, was recently killed uh, in Chicago. And and so that was kind of just a indication of this theme that he's trying to draw that, you know, violence in our city affects everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Adam Toledo, of course, the 13-year-old who was shot by police in 2021, who, you know, has be kind of come another symbol uh, of the need for criminal justice reform um, in, in Chicago and across the country included. And so that was that was an interesting moment. And, and again, when you speak of olive branches or just the work that Johnson has to do to unify a city that, as we saw from this election, is pretty deeply divided on how to best address crime. So, Mariah, Johnson is going to be working with a new city council, as Tessa alluded to. How do you see them all getting along? So I think we have gotten some indication of what that's going to look like. The first city council meeting will be next week. And so we'll kind of get our first flavor for how meetings are going to go under Mayor Johnson when that comes around. But there's been this push among council members for more independence from the mayor's office. You know, the Chicago's mayor has a lot of power over the city council because they're able to pick their own committee chairs. And so those committee chairs who are allies of the mayor um, really control when legislation comes up for a vote in the city, which is why Chicago's mayor very rarely has ever had to veto any sort of legislation because Chicago's mayor has a lot of control if they don't like legislation, it doesn't really come up for a vote, right? Mm. And so um, we saw that friction under Lightfoot and and this council, and um, it was a question of whether Johnson was going to choose his own committee chairs. He has decided to go that route, so that's an indication that he is trying to hold on to some of the executive power over the city council by placing his own allies in powerful positions in that body as opposed to the council choosing their committee chairs themselves. And so... That's been a long-held privilege of the mayor. I don't expect there to be, like, major pushback against Johnson for that, mainly because a lot of the people who were pushing for council independence are the progressives who are now allies of Johnson Uh. and have been put in the powerful positions. And so Johnson has also 
really tried to set a unifying tone since he was elected. Mm. We saw that in his speech. He said, you know, and to the city council, this is your day two. Mm. I want to say congratulations. I'm going to turn around and clap for you. And, you know, as as many may have picked up on, that was kind of a direct dig at Lightfoot or an indirect dig at Lightfoot, who in her inaugural speech, you know, ruffled feathers when she kind of sarcastically <laughs> turned to Alderman when speaking about how she wanted to curb corruption. You know, some aldermen t- still today point back to that moment as, you know, what spelled trouble for her and an indication of how their relationship would go. And I think Johnson's trying to start off on a different foot. Yeah. And when you're saying committee chairs, this is for the specific committees that are within the city council. The mayor appoints those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like if a policy about housing affordability were to come up, uh, it gets introduced to the full city council. It then goes to the housing committee and the housing committee Ah. chair, you know, sets the schedule for when that proposal will get a vote, which is required before it can then go back to the full city council and be passed citywide. Okay. Gotcha. Tessa. Brandon Johnson signed some executive orders right after being sworn in. We talked a little bit about the one regarding um, young people in the city. What are some of the other immediate things on his list as far as these executive orders? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one executive order, like Mariah mentioned, you know, is directing his budget office to find more opportunities for youth when it comes to job opportunities. And then I think the other executive orders that were really creating these new deputy mayor positions really speaks to the immediate challenges he's going to be facing in his first weeks in office. Um, There's a deputy mayor created for labor relations, migrant and refugee rights, and community safety. And mm-hmm. so I think those are going to be areas where he's already thinking about the historic you know, rise in violence that Chicago tends to see as summer months come around and also just the asylum seekers and, you know, clearly devoting, you know, a position within his administration that's going to be devoted to helping tackle some of these issues. I think maybe we'll see that work hand in hand with um, Lightfoot's Office of New Americans and maybe building mm-hmm. upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those executive orders for the deputy mayor positions also included um, tasking those new deputy mayors with creating budget recommendations on those issues. So it'll be interesting to see how some of those topics, you know, translate to actual priorities come budget season. We are already seeing some changes in City Hall. Um, Can you talk about what you've noticed so far, Tessa? Yeah, I think it was, you know, interesting to walk um, into City Hall. You could already kind of see the changes about, you know, where Lightfoot's portrait once stood on the walls. It was already Mayor Johnson's. And, you know, the doors where it said Office of the Mayor had Brandon Johnson's name already plastered on it. Um, and even when we went to the, um, you know, elevators that typically you, you know, it's really tight security, they're roped off, you have to show your credentials. Security guard was saying that he was checking them, you know, for the last time. It seemed to indicate maybe there'll be, you know, a little bit more of openness and just, you know, free mm. flow of people and access to, um, you know, the floors of City Hall. And Johnson himself had, uh, quote, you know, open house at City Hall on Monday afternoon. And there was supporters there excited to take photos and greet him and so it was interesting to see that the the changing of guard had already had already happened. So mm. very early on during his inauguration speech, uh, Mayor Johnson revealed to me <laughs> and whoever else didn't know uh, that Stacey Johnson, his wife, is going to be the first black first lady of Chicago. Um, and I'm just curious, first of all, is the first lady of a city or at least for Chicago similar to that of the country where they kind of take up their own initiatives. 
Yeah, we certainly saw that under Lightfoot. Amy Eshelman kind of spearheaded the My Shy, My Future program and app. It's an app that helps connect kids to resources and events, you know, in their area and jobs. And I think that was her main initiative. And so I do think Stacey Johnson has some potential, you know, opportunities to to see her priorities through. I don't know what that will be. And um, it's definitely something to watch. Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg are city politics and government reporters here at WBEZ. Thank you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You can read and listen to their coverage of Mayor Brandon Johnson's inauguration at WBEZ.org. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Dave Miska was the engineer for this episode and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. And we love hearing from you. What are you looking for from Chicago's new mayor? Email us with your thoughts, questions, or what else you want to hear on the show. The email address is therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning.